This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast. Before we get started today, uh, check the show notes. I'm so excited to announce that the three-part video series called Aerial Rehab is coming out mid-summer. It'll go straight to inboxes. Just sign up at the link and uh, you'll get it for free. It is geared towards any aerialist coming back to their practice from injury, surgery, pregnancy, or just a big long break. It is a progressive ground to air concept, and uh, I've been working on it for a little while now. So I'm excited for you guys to see to see what I've got for you. All right, today I have Laurel Sue, and we start out our conversation with a big old venting session, or you could call it ranting session, about the recent decision by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. We talk about our big feelings. We talk about our small feelings. We talk about all of our feelings. Uh, And uh, for all you listeners out there, if you're feeling this way, uh, you are not alone. It is a big deal uh, here in America because reproductive rights are healthcare, is healthcare. I cannot tell you the number of people I've spoken to and who have been on this podcast who would have died if it was not for, you know, those life-saving procedures, either because they had leftover tissue in their uterus, because they had a cluster of non-viable cells in their fallopian tube, because a host of reasons, a host of reasons. And I'm, oh, molar pregnancy with Helen Zoo. So many stories and not to say that you have to have a situation like that. You don't, you just, it's privacy. You should have your right to privacy. And uh, we go into it because we're mad as hell. And uh, then we get into Laurel's story, which is also an incredible journey. She suffered from hyperemesis in her pregnancy. She decided to do a birth center and hypnobirthing for her labor. And she struggled with engorgement and mastitis postpartum. She talks about getting back in the air and her process. Uh, it's really, really a great story. And she's a great storyteller. Story so uh, here's my interview with Laurel. So, uh, so you moved. Wait, you have a young child? I have now a 10-month-old. I'm 10 months postpartum. 10 months postpartum. You just moved. Did you move to a different city or did you just move it's apartments or drastic. homes? We moved from San Francisco to Oakland. So just across the bridge. Across the bridge. Um, are you British? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I, was, I was born in China and I was raised in the UK. But then I came here when I was uh, around in my teenage years. Um, and then went to university in the States. Okay. Where'd you go to school? I went to New York university. Wow. So are you, what, what nationality are you? I am Chinese. Oh my God. There's not many of us in the area. No, like, yeah, it's like, 
me and you and a couple people. I mean, that's not true. That's not true. Actually, I was just having this conversation with a woman who visited LA from Hawaii. She's Japanese. Yeah. And uh, she wanted to take class at the loft because. Of course, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? So I, I taught her and uh, she also just talked about representation in our in our industry. Yeah. And honestly, some of the best uh, aerial trainers that I've had have been people of color, like Christine Lee. I think everyone knows her. She used to teach active flex at Circus Center and I used to take classes with her. Um, nice. I my partner flying trapeze, which was fun. And uh, Angela Chu, I think she's part of the aerial moms group. She was actually my kind of like source of truth when I was going through pregnancy. And she was one of the folks that taught me choreography on silks. Ah, nice. Can you pronounce your name for me? Because I'm going to butcher it. L'Oreal? Laura? Laurel. Laurel. Like the Laurel. tree. Or like, like the, the tree of the Christ. However you want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You're hilarious. This is amazing. No, I like to go fast and loose on these podcasts and it always turns out better if I'm not prepared. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Chinese American. Are you mm-hmm. Chinese American if you yeah, were born yes, here? Yeah. Okay. Chinese American. You, is this your first kid? First and probably last. I don't know if I can do this again. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm right with you. I'm right with you on that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know your age, but for me, I'm not a spring chicken. Well, in my soul and my body, I kind of feel like a spring chicken, but my my female re- reproductive organs are not so i mean it depends on how you want to describe spring chicken right i'm actually in my <laughs> early 30s so okay uh young for my friends in my group of friends i'm definitely the youngest to have children most of my friends i would say started around 36 38 and i am yeah, yeah. 33 mhm yeah so was this a planned pregnancy this was a planned pregnancy we okay. had been, we had stopped birth control, unfortunately, around the time of COVID, but we were waiting for election results, essentially, to officially decide if we were trying. Because Oh, wow. I love that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, with COVID, being Asian, rise of Asian hate, and all of that, we were debating if we should even have children in the States. So, honestly, when election results came in, that's when we tried, and we got pregnant. Well, congratulations. And uh, your your husband uh, is, I'm sorry, I shouldn't assume. Your partner, <laughs> is he also Chinese? No, he's a New Yorker. Oh, okay. He's a white American? Yes. Caucasian, as they say, Caucasian. From Long um, Island. Long Island. Okay. Okay. So you have a little hop of baby. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh my God. They're so cute. <laughs> They're so cute. I mean, I'm biased. I think the Blasian babies are slightly cuter because I have a Blasian baby. <laughs> I, I admit it's, it's the cuteness, the, the chubbiness, the, the everything. It's just the best. They're the new hybrids. They're going to be immune to all sorts of diseases that we all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before you, uh, we go into your story, I just wanted to vent a little bit. Mm-hmm. So this will come out. 
after the news that broke today, just a couple hours ago, that our Supreme Court just took us back 50 years, maybe 100 years in women's rights. Yep. America, land of the free, home of the brave, unless you are anything but a white man. Nope. I mean, Carrie, so here's the thing. So I was a lawyer before all of this. Oh, and I okay. Actually, You're not any longer? No, definitely not. Hell no. That was a 10 okay. years ago sort of a situation. Um, okay, okay. Not for me. And I remember studying Roe v. Wade, the constitutional law. And frankly, Roe v. Wade is extraordinarily flawed for protecting women's rights and abortions. So that's mm. on the, that's why they're overturning it because it's not providing abortion support. It's so vague. But here's the thing is they are assuming that removing Roe v. Wade, you start with a blank state and that states at state levels will be able to create stronger protection for women identifying rights on these topics. Right. That's that's what that's what the justices are saying. Yep. But again, yes. it's like, OK, so if you're on any of the coasts, California, Oregon, Washington, D.C., New York, you are essentially protected and folks in the center part are not. And this is really going to impact, unfortunately, people of color, uh, lower yep. economic areas like it's. It's going to be devastating. My hope is that it's going to be devastating in the next 10, 20 years. But hopefully this really spurs people to vote in their local elections, get involved more with Planned Parenthood, really understand women's rights because, and this women's rights is not just about abortion. It's about talking about how traumatic postpartum is. It's talking about giving us leave talking about how difficult it is to breastfeed and that it is okay to not breastfeed. And that starts from the ground up. And maybe, just maybe, 15 years from now, the Gen Z that comes up, they will implement this change that we have been striving for. And this new foundational rights and laws will finally be able to protect not just women, but women identifying and everyone across the spectrum. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with you because like, okay, I feel like, um, I don't know about your past, but it took me, I'm 45 now. It took me my entire life up until like this year, last year to find my voice and really become what I want to be as a leader in my own community. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're that. I feel like you're that the way you talk. I love it. We need more of it because (laughs) representation is really important. Yeah. Strong female females who are of color are really important because, you know, you got to be able to look up to something and have that role model out there so that the younger generation can grow up into that quicker. Yeah, there needs to be hope. I think if we all despair now, like there is going to be no hope if we despair. We should take this as a chance to strive. Look at what happened coming from the Black Lives Matter movement movement. So many great things happened because people really got that urge for change. And I think with this, mothers, parents in those conservative areas who used to be pro-life, eventually someone is going to experience what it feels like to miscarry and be forced at DNC and not be allowed it. And then they'll finally realize 
oh shit, this is actually not about pro-life. This is about women's rights. Yeah. No, it's, it's disgusting. Like I hear, I hear usually white men politicians and not that I won't leave Clarence Thomas out because he's not white, but he's just as bad, even worse Mm -hmm. as some of the white men up there. I mean, the way they talk about like the rights of a fetus and, and like the same hilarious. And then the same week that SCOTUS does this, you know, they, you know, you can, the whole thing about guns, like there's a gun has more rights than I do, than my daughter has. Of course. And it's just, it's disgusting. Of course. Yeah, of course, Carrie. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, Carrie, this is, and this is my own conspiracy theory, is that. Yeah, I want to hear it. all happening because women are rising. People of color are rising. We are no longer having six plus children. We want to succeed in our careers. We want to uh, be this badass woman. And if that means we're not going to have children or we're limiting ourselves to one child or two children, that's fine. And these white cis men are like, oh my God, these women are no longer doing my bidding. They're no longer going to be my admins. I'm not going to be a CEO. I'm <laughs> admin <not gonna> politics. <laughs> Your time is over. Get with it. Yeah, well, that's, you know, the GOP. It's like that that's, you know, the January 6th stuff that's happening right now as we speak. It's it's like I know that they're holding on, but this that is a minority in this country. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like we're we're pissed off now. Let's see what happens in the next 15 to 20 years for the next generation, because I do not want my daughter to have less rights than mm-hmm. I happen to have when I live Mm. during my, during my life. And, um, you're right. If, you know, if they, (laughs) there's a fire lit and, you know, they got what they wanted, but I don't know if they wanted all of this. I'm just saying, they thought they had a nasty woman before. Now they're really going to get the nasty woman. Oh yeah. And Amy Coney Barrett is like, please, Please, I, I I know that she's just trying to to placate the people that got her to where she's at. But originalist, I mean, my dude is a black man and he was watching a little bit of the January 6th and he laughed. He's like, Constitution, when the Constitution was written, my ancestors were slaves. Why should I care? And I'm not saying I don't care. I'm saying that like, Lady, you had no rights. You wouldn't be in the highest court exactly. if you were really an originalist. Yeah. Shut up. Exactly. Like, is this come on? Is, am, I, am I watching my own TV series? <laughs> this is it's terrible. It's 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 um yeah. So there's a fire lit. I mean, I've always been like a like a lifelong Democrat, and I'm not even that far left. But like, y'all are like. This shit is not okay. It's like not really a Democrat or Republican thing anymore. No, it's about just like basic human rights, basic human rights, and and out there, this is a worldwide community. If you are outside of America, not an American citizen, looking in, and it seems like some crazy shit, you're right. It it, it feels that way living here. Like like our country is like a teenage boy that needs to be slapped across the face. Like it's terrible. You know, it's an issue when my family in China, an authoritarian dictatorship regime is pitying us. 
Wow. Just wow. saying. They're literally locked in Shanghai without food and they are pitying us. That is saying something. Are you saying because of the uh, the lockdowns and they just don't have access to the grocery stores and stuff? Yeah, it's literally probably like 200 US dollars right now to ship groceries. So if you're privileged, you get to eat. If you're not privileged, you get like leftover potato skins. <laughs> I love that you chose potato skins. No, no, that's because that's what they're actually eating. My father oh, wow. Eating it to me, yeah. Like, so not like from Applebee's, but actual skins of potatoes. No, like the, when you, what's it called? Uh, peel a potato. And that's what you have to do. They dry it out in the sun. So it's like potato jerky. Cause that's a form of carb that they can just chew on and feel less hungry. It was a technique that they developed during the cultural revolution. So the old generations have been teaching the young generations how to deal with essentially starvation. <gasps> oh my God. I really thought you we're talking about potato skins that I get from like I know, local bar. It's not the delicious potato skins that we get here. Oh but my God. They are pitying us. <sighs> that is, that is some crazy shit right there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, so podcast listeners, you've definitely found, found us fiery here on a, on a Friday morning, although this is going to drop on a Monday. Oh my God. I think that you and I are like, we're, we're, uh, what's it called? We're like sisters from another mother. Soulmates? Yes. Are we, are we flying soulmates? Are we flying <laughs> birdmates? I want to know this. So wait, okay. So tell me about your practice. Tell me about your aerial practice. Um, so when I was in law school, I actually started in pole and that was because I was in I was in China in law school and my friend was like, hey, you know, there's this place called Pussycat Dance. Uh, let's take a break from your hypotheticals and let's go try this Pussycat Dance pole studio. There's pole studios in China? Oh, yeah, there is. The pole is a big practice in mainland China. And is it went, looked down upon? No, no. It's an, oh. it's an athletic sport, okay. right? Chinese pole is, is a sport. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I went and I expected this like, oh, sexy, I don't know. This was back when I was like, oh, it's like a stripper-esque. And then I go in and this is when I thought CrossFit was an intense workout. And these people are like eight packs, lifting things upside down. Like it's no effort. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm weak. Then I was like, you know what? I'm going <laughs> to give this a shot. And then I moved from China to New York and I joined Body and Pull. Okay. Um, such a fabulous studio. And it was like this community where I finally felt like, wow, people are not comparing each other. They're encouraging. Uh, I can feel like sexual or silly and not embarrassed about it. It was very nice. And then through body and pull is how I discovered Lyra and Sulks. Uh, my main yeah. apparatus books. And then my aerial partner and I, we like to do duo stuff on Lyra. Um, that's obviously on hiatus and postpartum. But yeah, our hoop's name is Sasha. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm so obsessed with you. I know my uh, aerial partner. She used to go down for the aerial retreats down in Oaxaca, Mexico. Okay, what's her name? Deborah. Oh. No, I don't know Deborah O, but that's great. Odeb. I love O-mama. it. Mama. I like to call it O Mama. 
Oh, this is great. And so now you're on the West Coast. I'm on the West Coast now. Um, so trained here at Ariel Artique back when it was Ariel Artique and then got whipped into shape through Elena, the usual at a circus center that everyone goes through. Okay. Um, yeah. So I did silks just primarily for enjoyment, for the dance, for the height, for the thrill. And then we did performance on Lyra as a duo act. Okay. And I am not sure. Is, is Ariel your job or is it your hobby? It's a hobby. It's a hobby. Okay. What and do you do now since you're safe. not a lawyer? Oh yeah. I was a lawyer when I lived in New York and it was just not a right fit. It, I, I couldn't, that was not my mindset. I couldn't handle it. Okay. Yeah. I needed something creative. I needed not to be bogged down by the stress of alerting to my Blackberry on the corner of my bed. Um, mm. The fact that I used to go to body and pull after a dance session, I would go into a corner and cry. Oh no. How bad it was. Kira, who was the owner of body and pull used to come consult me and be like, there, there, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh my God, I hate my job. But, Were you in corporate law? Yeah, I did a uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, for a big firm um, in New York City. So bringing in the bucks. Yeah, not worth it. Money is not worth your soul. Yeah, so you're you're uh you stopped doing that. You guys are now there, and you are ten months postpartum. Okay, so tell me, is there anything of you? What was pregnancy like for you? Pregnancy was. I would say it this way. Pregnancy was a disaster. Like, oh no, HG. So I was vomiting from probably week seven all the way until birth. I had probably <gasps> two weeks of non-vomiting. So here's the thing with HG, they give you this drug to prevent you from HG hyperem- is that hyperemesis? Hyperemesis, quivarium. Um, okay. The thing is the medication they give you to prevent you from vomiting makes you super constipated. And you know, like, yeah. people, like hemorrhoids, I was like, no, must poop. And my culture, like pooping is like, you must poop. So I was like, oh no, I must poop. So I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to vomit. And it got to a point, uh, there are a couple of other aerialists who were going through pregnancy with me and we were all just kind of sick where we just like, okay, so I'm going to strategically eat foods that when I'm vomiting will not be as painful. So like no noodles, no spicy foods, no like enoki mushrooms call them see you later mushrooms uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, take that um, and then my midwife so here's the thing is i i worked with a midwife and i birthed at a birth center rather than a hospital okay i have a great fear for hospitals and specifically male doctors all right yeah so knowing that if I went into labor, it'd be the first uncle doctor and it could potentially be like a male really freaked me out. And my whole thing was practicing hypnobirthing. And a big part of hypnobirthing was feeling safe and feeling mm-hmm. empowered. And for me, that was like, okay, so I knew I needed to do this the way I could, which was at a birth center with a midwife, with the doula, with people that I felt safe with. I love it. Yeah. And I trained until I was about 38 weeks pregnant. 
um, it was mainly on silks. I did Lyra probably until I was 20 weeks pregnant, but I had to stop because how I mount into the Lyra is, you know, you know, pull over and it's almost such a muscle memory. I would get onto the hoop. I would start doing the pullover and go, wait, I can't pull over because there's something there and I don't want to harm the baby. So then I would just be suspended in this awkward thing of like, oh, wait, can't mount the Lyra this way. Come back down. That was an accident. I'm just going to go under the bar this time. But then under the bar, you have suddenly have this newfound breasts that have grown out of nowhere. I have, I went from a 32 like B cup. I became a 36 F Carrie. I didn't what? know F was a thing. I had no idea. Like what happened to during that? pregnancy and yes. how about now? Uh, I've stopped breastfeeding. So they're slowly decreasing. I'm now a 34 double D. Um, what? You probably remember on the Ariel mama's chat. I, I actually asked the group I was like, Hey guys, I'm, I have these big breasts. What do big breast people wear for Ariel? I don't know. Okay. I remember seeing that. I didn't know the name of the person. So wait, that your body, <laughs> your body before pregnancy is like what? Uh, like parallel, no curves, pretty flat. I had an ass. So that was proud of that. Um, oh my God. We're the same person. <laughs> yeah. And then Laurel, are you like, did my mom have another kid that I didn't know about? What is happening? Yeah. And then it's like, suddenly I had hips and then I don't understand that. I don't understand this at all. So your body was like petite, flat. And then you had, I, I don't understand how that even happens. Did your, did your mom have that happen? Yes. Yes. My mother, but naturally my mother was very curvy and then she just became even curvier after pregnancy. I don't understand. I don't understand either. But pregnancy was aside from the nausea, um, my ribs got bruised because my abdominals just would not move. So my son would just kick the top of my rib cage and the top couple bits of my rib cage got bruised as a result, um, which is all better now. Um, but I mean, I didn't have any complications aside from this. So there's really nothing bad to complain about. It was just, it was just like incredible nausea, but right. I was suddenly able to spin without needing to prep. I used to have to like, okay, I need to train for spinning. I used to have to be like, okay, where's my gallon of ginger? Suddenly I could spin. And it felt good. Huh. It was while you're pregnant? While I was pregnant. That's so weird. So yeah, so I'd be like in my silks uh, and I would just be in like like a single knee hang and you know, twirl your, your silks and you just kind of go around. And it used to make me so sick. And then suddenly it did not. I was very confused. And, and that stuck. It's the same now? It's about the same now. Wow, that's great. Granted, I have not tried on like real spinning apparatuses, like a dance trapeze. Who knows? That might destroy me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you were also, you were training Ariel until 38 weeks. How did you prep yourself for the hypnobirthing? What was that process? So the hypnobirthing, I already had a meditative practice 
And I think the one thing is the name hypnobirthing. People think it's very woo-woo, like, oh, you're going into hypnosis. I, I don't believe in that. It's really not about hypnosis. It's about knowing that your body can do this, that people, women have done this for thousands of years without men intervening. And men intervening was something that happened recently, right? So it's understanding that your body, your body will change. And rather than fight it, you breathe into it. So a great example is when it's even the vernacular, rather than calling it a contraction, you call it a surge. So then when you feel the surge happening, rather than like clench and go, oh my God, it's coming. Oh, it's painful. You just breathe into it. You just kind of inhale and you exhale. And they have these breathing techniques of, okay, early labor, you want to take deep breaths. When you go into transition and later in labor, there are these like uh, quick breaths that you take to kind of handle the surges that are coming in faster, faster beats. Um, and then a big part of hypnobirthing is also knowing where your body pain is happening. I think a lot of people, when they go through labor, they're like, oh my God, just everything hurts. But if you really recognize, okay, is my labor in the front of my hips? Is it in the back of my hips? Is it in my back? Just knowing where that is, then they train your partner to kind of do this counter pressure point. So as you're going through your surges, you have someone counter pressuring this in you. Then here's the other thing, ensuring that you are in control of what position you are in. I mm. birthed laying on my side. Ah. Yeah. A friend of mine, another aerialist, she birthed essentially in a pull-up position, <laughs> which is natural because she does straps. So I was like, touche. Um, but it's like, oh, because that's what she felt like doing when the contraction was there. Yeah. Cause they had these like, like these bars for her because uh-huh. they are supposed for you to bear down, but she pulled up. <laughs> so she pulled up and the baby crowned and came out. Yes, this is amazing. Yes. So I was like, you know what? That's, that's fine. That that's you, whatever works. Um, I need so- to get her name from you because I want her on the podcast. <laughs> And it will be named. She's probably listening to this podcast and going, um, she's about to give her my name, isn't she? Uh, this, no, this we'll do it name. offline, but yeah. Yeah, she's one of the, the strongest uh, aerialists that I know. This woman's badass. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all about knowing what position that you feel comfortable in and really doing what you need to do to get in that vibe. So you create like a hypno baby playlist. So songs that music that you feel relaxed and good. And then you train yourself, uh, months ahead of time where when you're feeling relaxed, winding down for the day, reading a book, you listen to this playlist that's calming so that it almost treats it as a trigger that when you hear these repetitive songs, they make you feel good about yourself and they make you feel relaxed. And then you have an active baby jive for when you get into active labor and you listen to this playlist also months ahead of time when you're working out, when you're drinking, when you're getting hyped up, you know, all those sort of things. Um, so like, as an example on my baby hypno jive, it was a lot of soothing, uh, music from soundtracks, like how to train your dragon or orchestra mm. symphony, uh, or Love it. The, uh, theme to star Trek. Uh, I'm a 
big nerd. So that's why these are the things that came up. Oh my God, I'm a big nerd too. <laughs> Carrie. So yes. Wait, are you a Star Wars nerd? Oh, Carrie, my entire house right now is themed Star Wars. Don't lie to me. Like my kitchen, I have named it through Google Home called the Cantina. Our reading room is Alderaan. My Stop it. Room is Dan Stop Pee- it. And our primary bedroom is the Dagobah system. Okay, listen. Listen, I thought I was a nerd. You totally trump me. Sorry, I hate using that word. You totally <laughs> are more nerdy than me. So are you caught up on Obi-Wan? I have not started that series yet because someone told me that there is harming of children in it. So I need to prepare myself mentally. to. Ah. I've been dying to watch it. Well, I mean, yes, it's basically, sorry, spoiler for my podcast listeners. Basically, they go back to when Anakin attacked the Padawans. Yep. Yep. I heard yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. maybe that show and Stranger Things, both of them are like, I want to watch, but I think I need to be in a better headspace. Yeah, and they do the trigger warnings, too, because I just finished four, well, first part of four. And I have to say, maybe you're doing it better because now I have to wait. Mm-hmm. I have to wait a whole week longer. And it's not good. It's not a good feeling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. So, oh my God, I, I, I literally like, do you know, (laughs) Natasha Wang name sounds familiar. She's a pole artist. She's, she's a, a pole. She's like big in the pole community. Uh, when I first met her, this is also how I felt. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, she recently competed. She, she competed in the pole championships around with Marlo Fiskin. I don't know who that uh, other person is, but... Pole Cricket. Pole Cricket, yep. That's her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. her. That's her. When I first when I first really spent time with her, we were actually on a gig together, and I felt this way. I was like, how have I only met you now? This uh-huh. is crazy. Oh, my God. And then also, the Harry Potter movies are now on HBO Max. Yep. They're not as good as as you would want them to be, but they're pretty good for if you're just sitting around the house trying to take care of your baby. Um, Yeah, there's there's actually a good amount of stuff to watch right now. Disney Plus just had Doctor Strange come out, you know, like my weekend is is booked, basically. And that's the thing is with hypnobirthing, you just want things that make you feel calm. And for my active baby jives, I had like the Rocky Horror soundtrack going on oh my god this is amazing you're acting like a gen xer gen gen xer but you're not you're a millennial millennial no, I, just, I, I just listen to a lot of older music uh <laughs> but yeah well i mean yeah uh okay so it's a mindfulness practice mm-hmm. obviously and what was your experience during the birth okay carrie here's a thing and nobody's going to believe me I had a really good birthing experience. It was okay. Painless. That's what I hear though. That's what I hear yeah. from my friends who are doing this successfully. Okay. Well, I wouldn't say it's a success thing because I think any person that births is it's a success, but it's, it was just pain free. And quite frankly, I enjoyed it. And if it weren't for post 
postpartum and the vomiting of pregnancy, I'd say, yeah, I would definitely go through labor again. Because if I had to describe labor as any way, it felt like taking a giant dump, but like a giant dump where you've been hydrated and you're, you've been like constipated for like a week and it comes out and it feels glorious. Oh my God. I've never heard this <laughs> analogy. My friend, she didn't do hypnobirthing necessarily, but she did a uh, at home birth and she used the word, um, Oh God. See, now that I'm a mom, I, I just forget things. Like I just forget things. It, it was just like, like a, the height of excitement. That's, that's the way she characterized her home birth. And it wasn't painful either. She also did like, you know, they have those contraptions where it's a balloon and you can stretch the parent that instead of doing just the massage, like actually stretching it and birthing a balloon. That's, uh, yeah, I did that. I had an, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your pelvic floor probably is way healthier than mine. (laughs) I was for doing all that work. Very, I was very, very lucky because I had a ton of friends before me who had gone through birthing centers and who had, uh, gone through hypnobirthing and everything. And I knew it was not really an American thing. So I didn't really believe my friends in the EU because abroad in Asia, in the EU, you don't normally go to hospitals. You're typically working with a midwife. You only go to a hospital if there's complications. So in the Americas, it's, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. So I didn't really believe them. And then I had a friend in the States, um, who, who comes from a family of doctors and she chose to go to a birth center and do hypnobirthing. So then I was like, okay, so this person who is medically trained is not woo woo in any way is doing this. Maybe I should look into it. Um, and she described her labor as great. It wasn't painful. It was like pooping. And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. Ha ha. But in my back of my mind, I was like, you're lying, but it's true. It really was like this. And it was because I just, In labor, I surrendered to my body. I felt it happening. My water broke at midnight. And then I told my partner, I was, oh, you know, I think my water broke. I was like, okay, time for us to sleep. So then I went to sleep. And then I woke up and I felt the surges happening. I was like, okay, so I think now it's it's happening. And then there's this app that they kind of have you, uh, that you have download. It's called the Frida it's called like the Frida something app. It's a breathing thing where you, it's this button. When your search starts, you press it and it walks you through the breathing technique that you have been Ah. You can adjust it like, okay, like I, I'm asthmatic. So I can't take these like eight second long inhale breaths that normal people can. So you can adjust the time and then you press the button when the search stops and then they time it for you so that you can know, okay, you're 20 minutes of contraction And as you get closer, then they'll actually prompt and say, okay, time to call your midwife or your, you know, there's this whole, it's it's hilarious. Um, And they have all these songs and music and you can play your own playlist. It's a really solid app. Um, So I started doing that. And then my husband woke up around 10. He found me on the couch because I didn't want to wake him. And I was on my side, uh, just kind of listening to my playlist, zoning out and I was 20 minutes uh, between each surge 
And then within an hour, I went down to four minutes of surge. Shit wow. my fast. And I was so in the zone, I could only think, I need everyone here now and we need to get to the birth center right now. I could not explain it. My body was screaming, we need to get to the birth center. Something is happening. So my partner literally got everyone here immediately. <laughs> and then we called our midwife. And this is, again, a couple of hours. And the midwife is like, oh, you know, yeah, we can get you in. But you might be here for like a couple of days because this is early labor. And first time moms traditionally, statistically, last like 48 to 72 hours. In total, my birth lasted 15 hours. <laughs> And, and I should mention, I don't have wide hips. <laughs> I have very mm. narrow hips. So for those who are saying I have narrow hips is never going to happen. It will happen. I used to be a double zero, uh, pant size, 24 size pant size. So this happened and, uh, I could not sit sitting was like my body screamed. Do not let me sit like sitting on a birth ball, sitting up, not okay. So, uh, my partner laid down the trunk, put a bunch of cushions, <laughs> and I laid in the back of the trunk as we drove to the birth center. And as we drive to the birth center, uh, and I didn't know it then, but now I know I was going through transition. So uh, I felt the sudden need to push and to poo. And I was like, I need to poo. I need to poo. And one of my good <laughs> friends, she's part of my birth team, She's telling the doula in the front seat, Laurel needs a poo. Laurel needs a poo. The doula knew instantly what was happening. She was like, do not push. Do not push. And if anything, this was the most difficult part of my labor. To not, to, to not to push. To not push. It felt like I was in the middle of a music festival performing, hovering on top of everyone. And suddenly I feel like I just ate a boatload of cheese and I feel like I'm gophering a poop in my leotard above <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> okay do not poop do not poop that's literally what it felt like <laughs> I'm so obsessed with you but you all know that feeling when you are no I know I know when you gotta go you gotta go and this is the first time I was like oh shit I, I actually cannot shit so and how so how next, long did you have to hold it it felt like forever. In reality, it was 14 minutes. We get to the birth Okay, that's center. a long time though. Like 15 minutes is yeah, a long time. So we time. get to the birth center. The midwife's like, oh, you are far along. Uh, she lays me down the bed, checks me. I am nine centimeters dilated. Oh my God. Bananas. Um, originally, I wanted a water birth. So they had the tub and she's like, okay, we're going to fill the tub. And my midwife was not prepared for me being so far along. So Originally, she was supposed to have two other assisting midwives. So she calls them. They're like an hour and a half away. She's like, can you guys hear ASAP? <laughs> Fortunately, my doula was also a medical assistant. So she was there to kind of like help um, make sure I used the restroom, that I was comfortable. I was laying on my side. And then within 20 minutes, I was like, I need to poo. Back to the, I need to poo, I need to poo. They check me. I'm 10 centimeters dilated. I'm like, is the top ready? And it's like maybe one inch. <laughs> it's a oh, no. Take forever. And granted, when you are doing the top thing, it's if you are feeling a lot of back pain. 
and it releases that pressure from your back. That's why a lot of people go into the water when they're in early labor. But obviously, I missed all that early labor because I was just zoning into my hypnobirthing state. Uh, so like, okay, fuck this. I guess no water birth. And there was actually a hammock in my birth center. And I was like, maybe I want to be in the hammock. No, I didn't want to be upright. I just needed to be on my side. So on okay. my side it was. I pushed for three hours. And it was because uh, I was listening to my passive baby list. Finally, my midwife was like, okay, let's, let's, let's up it a notch. Let's put on your active baby jobs. Like hypnobirthing is great for the passive stuff. Let's, let's put on some active stuff. We put on the Rocky horror and I go to the restroom and instantaneously, boom, he starts to crown and they're like, get her back on the bed, get her back on the bed. Cause I was peeing on the toilet. Doula essentially power lifts me to the bed uh, they prepare the olive oil to ensure I don't tear. They put this like hot compress to help prevent the tearing. And he comes out and it felt like the best poo of my life. And then the placenta came out, which then that was the best poo of my life. It was almost orgasmic how that felt. And then I was exhausted. Like I had just run a marathon um, and then conditioned for eight hours straight. And I was like, oh, finally. I'm done. Time to relax. Oh my God. Are you, do you tell all your stories like this? Yes. I'm a very exaggeratory sort of person. I am, I'm a Leo star sign. So it is expected of me. You know what? You said the word, my friend used the word orgasmic as well. (laughs) That's the word she used. Yeah. It's like you're at the height of something. And like, yeah, you're at the head. You're at the head of something. It's orgasmic. That's not how my birth was, but I'm really happy for you guys because that's an amazing experience. And then did you know the sex of your baby before? No, no. We wanted to be surprised because you know how people are so opinioned over gender identity. And I did not want to start that on my child before they were even born. I didn't want to do any of, you know, that sort of. Yeah. The pink, the blue. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I was so lit up this morning scrolling Twitter about Roe v. Wade and I knew I had you at 9 a.m. And I was like, you know, politics is just I was just like, you know, maybe I won't even talk about this because I don't know this person and I don't know. And then you end up being you. I mean, I would say the aerial community as a whole tends yeah. to be. Tends to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know. We- tends to be really open-minded and, and um, you know, not on the side of stepping on women's necks generally. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> fact that most aerialists cannot do performing arts as a full-time gig, they feel like they need to find other roles to supplement, to have a basic lifestyle is proof that people do not care about performing arts. But when pandemic hits, when they're down the ground, who do they come to? Yep. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Yeah. So that is an amazing experience to share. And I hope that any women out there who are listening, if you are considering this and really want to do it, but you've got some fear around it. I feel like Laurel just gave you some... uh, and a really say, good story. You don't need to take classes or pay money for hypnobirthing. We did, 
But honestly, you can find free resources about it on YouTube. If you have a strong meditative practice, even more so, and just kind of go for it. Yeah, I, I love this. And um, and y- you say that you are not necessarily planning to have more children, mm-hmm. although who knows? Is any particular reason? Breastfeeding was horrible. Oh, my God. Okay, so tell, tell, tell us about that. So I'm going to start by saying, listen to your physical therapist. Do not start training early at all. I posted in the aerial parents group that, hey, when did everyone start training again? And everyone was like, do not train until you get the green light for your physical therapist. Some people were like, I didn't train for like a year. I didn't train for six months. I went back into the air at six weeks. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Because I didn't have complications in labor. And I was like, well, I feel okay. Like I should be able to get back into the air. And frankly, I had seen some other aerialist moms who were back in the air at six weeks. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, I took a private training session with one of my trainers. And my first climb back in the air, I felt like my organs were going to fall out of my butthole. Are you having a prolapse? No, it was my pelvic floor was just still so low. My abdominals were not 100%. So I had like a one and a half finger separation diastasis. Mm. I didn't know it at a time. So everything just did not feel in place. The funny thing is certain things like doing a footlock or even doing a crossback straddle felt totally fine. Muscle memory. It was climbing. And I think it was because when you're climbing, right, you, depending on how you're like a basic French climb, you wrap your foot, you step on top. When you step on top, I think maybe that's when it engages your hip flexor and your pelvic floor, which was strained for me because I birthed laying on my side. So my left foot climb felt extraordinarily heavy. And my physical therapist said, okay, so when your pelvic floor is this low and you're putting extra strain on something that's already strained, your body literally goes into the, oh my God, panic. Everything's going to be destroyed mode. So then I reassess. I was like, okay, I will actually listen to everyone who told me don't do this at six weeks. Did physical therapy, did basic core compressions. And when I mean basic. Wait, did you do, did you do, did you hurt? Did you end up injuring yourself or did you just get like, oh shit, this doesn't feel good. Debatable. Okay. Debatable. All right. Debatable. Honestly, uncertain. Um, Okay. Okay. The aerial group that we're in on Facebook, someone gave me this link to another aerial trainer that specialized in like core compressions. So such basic things where you're like lying on the back, hollow body, knees and tabletop, and just breathing into like pushing in against your knees. Something that when you're doing normal aerial training, you're like, why am I doing this? I need like, I need to do like leg lifts uh, and like a pike position. So that was one of those really humbling moments where I realized, okay, I need to stand from ground zero and relearn how to engage my abdominals, my transverse abdominals, uh, and pelvic floor. Did the therapy, 
came back to Ariel at four months postpartum and started just doing very basic aerial conditioning at Circus Center with this fabulous trainer named Miriam because she herself had gone through like a C-section and everything. And uh, she kind of guided me through ways to work on like butterfly V-ups and all of that. And I went from not being able to lift my knees in normal hang to suddenly I was back doing inversions because it's a progress, right? And if anything, I feel stronger now because I wasn't allowed to cheat with jumping or anything. I literally had this like new way to train this flat blank slate where I didn't have bad techniques or cheating or anything along those lines. Had to build my core from ground zero, but do it correctly because if it didn't, I literally would feel it in my pelvic floor. So now it's like, oh, wow, it's much easier for me to do my straight leg inversions than it was before. Weird. This is amazing. I love it. Yeah. It takes time. And that's the thing is you have to be patient. You have to work with your trainer. You have to listen to your physical therapist, listen to other aerialists who have gone through it. So, yeah, it's really easy to really want to start really early. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us feel that. Yeah. I, I didn't start too early, but I I tell the story all the time. Like my my pelvic floor and my TA were not were not participating. Oh no. In the movement. And so I had to complete like about a year postpartum, I completely regressed, regressed so that I could do all that work that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm on a, on a better path, but yeah, I like went in gung ho and like things weren't participating. So my hip flexors were doing everything, everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be, and you can tell in the movement, you know, you can, you can tell when an inversion doesn't roll up correctly. Uh Okay. Bean, I'm sorry. She usually gives me about 56 minutes. Okay, okay, hold on. Mama's almost done, my love. No, no, no. She has big feelings now. I know. It's so good. And you're a first-time mom, too. So, okay, sorry. Go back to the breastfeeding, by the way. Oh, God. Because you didn't you didn't go into that. I want to know oh, why. Okay. Did the lashing, was it just, like, not natural? The baby didn't want to lash? <sighs> so, a number of things. I I'm one of those people that has total control over my own body. And I've always valued that as you can tell from kind of how I did my training and everything. So I had thought ahead of time, I would not be able to breastfeed because my mother was not able to successfully breastfeed. Um, And then on top of that, one of my nipples goes in, one of my nipples is flat. And then on top of that, one of my breasts, I have a mass uh, it's not cancerous or anything. It's just, um, I am BRCA positive. So it's, it runs in my mother's side of the family because she had breast cancer and is in remission now. So I was just like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to breastfeed, but I kind of want to try it to see if I can. Nobody told me that you can't just stop breastfeeding. You have to wean. It was not something I was ever prepared for. I was unable to get my son to latch because of the flat and inverted nipples. So I decided to exclusively pump. You can see where things are going awry. Yeah. Day yeah. three, 
And because I wasn't producing milk by day three, I was like, I'm going to take moringa, shatabari, goat's root, fenugreek. I took all of it. I inhaled it. And because I was doing this Chinese cultural thing of confinement, where you're just doing stews and all these things that give you iron and protein and milk producing things. And uh, it was around 10 p.m. at night. Uh, my pump ran out of battery. So I stopped pumping at like six minutes. And I was like, okay, it's fine. I'm not producing any milk anyway, whatever. I go to sleep. I turn onto one side and suddenly I feel this pain. It's like a brick. I'm like, okay, that's weird. I'll go to the other side. Suddenly my left side feels like a brick. And then I'm on my back and these boobs just get harder and harder. And it's this pain I've never felt. And I just kind of start whimpering. And (laughs) my partner wakes up and says, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm in so much pain and I don't know what's happening. Fortunately, we had a postpartum doula who was handling night shifts. She came in and she was like, you need to get into a hot shower right now. You're engorged. You're at risk of mastitis. I had mastitis five times in six months. I was a big overproducer. I produced probably... 70 to 100 ounces of milk a day. Wow. Um, And that was after I had cut down to four pumps a day. (laughs) So much milk. I had so much milk that when I weaned by six months, my child had enough milk for a year. I had a three by six cubic chest freezer along with my own freezer of milk. Oh my God. Uh, So with overproduction, and it's like, you hear about underproduction. No one talks about overproduction. I had lost the sense of bodily autonomy. All sense of training was out the window because, hey, newsflash, uh, sports bras clogged my milk ducts. Uh, I remember at four months postpartum, my, my aerial partner, she is one of the instructors at San Francisco Pull and Dance. So I was like, yay, she's an instructor. I'm going to go support her. I'm going to go take a Lyra class uh, with her. Put on a sports bra. And it was like a size F sports bra fitted to me. Great. And it felt comfortable. I came out of that one hour and a half training session with bricks <laughs> on my torso. And it had already been my second time with mastitis. So I had my doctor on call. We didn't even need to go in to do an ultrasound. I was like, well, well, Dr. Char, uh, time to call Alto and get the Ciflaxin antibiotics <laughs> sent to my house again. I popped antibiotics like it was Skittles because that's how crazy it was. And here's the thing they don't tell you. Just because you're taking antibiotics doesn't mean the mastitis goes away. It just allows your milk ducts to not be inflamed. So you still have to massage the duct out. And it is so painful. I will take ankle hangs. I'll take neck hangs. Hell, I will take ankle hangs on a trapeze. Because let me tell you, I think those hurt way more than anything on silks, rope, or lira. Oh, no, no. I I won't even do it. Yeah, I used to have like the socks with the ankle protections and then still cry to my trainer, Elena, be like, it hurts. And then she'll go, well, in the Russia, when I did this, we did it barefooted. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, it was bad. So that inability to control my breast milk, 
my body, everything gave me a, a clock duck. Sleeping on my side gave me a duck. If I knocked my elbow into my breast, I got a clock duck. If my dog jumped on me, I got a clock duck. If my baby accidentally punched me in the chest because that's what they do, I got a clock duck. My partner, my lactation consultant would come almost every week where she would do this lymphatic massage to massage the inflammation out and she would spend 45 minutes and a lactation consultant is expensive. So she trained my partner on how to massage it out. So every single day uh, at the beginning and end of the day, we literally hot shower, pump, uh, ice the breasts afterwards. And then he would spend 45 minutes massaging and essentially milking any clogged ducts out. Because I had them wow. every time. So this loss of body control, loss of time, being attached to a robot, it was, it, it destroyed. No, it and you didn't even, you didn't even get like the feeling of your, your baby, exactly. you know, nursing, which exactly. is the, and part which of is my the culture bonus. is like food equals love. You know, it's always the joke. Yeah. That yeah. People yeah. Like, oh, you just, you, you need to eat all the food or you die. If you don't, if I don't give you food, then I don't love you. So to me, it was not providing breast milk meant I didn't love my son. So I was like, okay, fine. I will just do this because I love my son. And to detach, I had to go through so much therapy. I could not even explain. Oh my God. You know, the, the Chinese culture, there are some positives, but mainly it just puts us all in therapy. Yes. Yes. If you watched everything everywhere all at once. No, that movie is so triggering for me. Oh my God. It was so good though. Oh my God. That movie. I I had no idea what it was about. I went to laughing my ass off to crying hysterically. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. And I was, I went to go see it because I was having a day and I asked my partner to like, give me three hours to go see a movie because I just needed alone time. And I, felt that week that week I felt like a failure yep in every way yep and so I decided oh the Michelle Yeoh movie's gotten a lot of great reviews everybody's talking about it let me go see that movie I didn't even know if it, it was about an Asian family I just knew she was in it yep and I sat there and cried my ass off yep like, it was like such a good film cry. Too. it was not even like like ugly crying ugly crying in the theater which is the fine. mom says you're fat, and I'm like, oh, yep, yep exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't want to spoil. I guess spoiler: the scene where she's like going into the black hole, and like the mother's holding onto her, and the father's holding onto the mother, and the grandfather's holding onto them. It's like the intergenerational trauma connection. And then she's like, "Okay, you want to let go? I will let you go." And then she lets her go, but then she comes back. I was like. <laughs> oh my god oh my god okay, wait Mary, are you- i'm so sorry but i have to go now oh my god you just you just want me you just leave me wanting more but <laughs> i'm gonna have you back just so i can talk to you of course always if okay. i remember down yeah. to los angeles i'll come hit you up oh you have to come train so uh thank you laurel yeah Thank you. I yeah, hope okay. this was a positive labor story for 
people who are thinking of trying so that they're not as afraid that they should know that it is possible to have a good labor and, you know, postpartum is no fucking joke. Like I will tell people straight up, we need to talk about it more because if we as women start making these issues real and talking about how toxic it is to say things like super mom, then maybe we will see a change in our rights and our children's rights in the future. All right. Thank you so much, Laurel, for carving out the time for us. Uh, 10 months postpartum and super busy at your job as well. My listeners, I'm so excited to announce my project that is coming out. It's a three-part video series called Aerial Rehab, geared towards anyone coming back to their practice after a long break, surgery, injury, or pregnancy. And uh, it'll go straight to inboxes uh, midsummer. So just click the link and uh, in the show notes and sign up. You'll receive it for free. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, if you're feeling any of the things that me and Laurel were talking about, uh, you are not alone. We all need to band together and rise up for our rights here in America. Reproductive rights are healthcare, is healthcare. I always mess it up. Somebody tell me which one it is. Yeah, lots of love going out on the airwaves this week because it is very heavy in a lot of our hearts. If you would please honor me with the five-star rating and a review where you get your podcast, I will love you forever. Thanks so much for being here. Signing off. This is The Expected Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,